Do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? is Appetite for Distortion. Oh, yeah. I'm going to let it breathe. Oh, so cool. Mike Squires, thank you for the, uh, the our new theme song, Mike Squires from Loaded. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion. My name is Brando. Episode... 56. Hard enough to believe Joe DiMaggio hit for 56 straight games, and I've gone 56 episodes about talking about Guns N' Roses. So uh, maybe the streaks aren't comparable, but that's uh, what I wanted to do in my own brain. Uh, so it is um, Brando coming up. We're going to be talking to uh, Ernie C. from uh, Body Count in just a few minutes. Uh, but first, I want to introduce my my lovely co-host for this episode, uh, Catherine Terman. How are you, my dear? I am well. Thank you for having me, having me back. As yes. Far. Yes, I know we're, we've been getting new listeners. I mean, I'm not making this up. I get messages all the time from people like, hey, I just found you. I think someone found, like, on my Instagram commented, how did I just find out about this 55 episodes in? Uh, so there are new people. If you want to hear more about Catherine's story, she was our guest, episode 21. So long ago uh, in your your baseball illusion game of <laughs> of radio. Uh, unbelievable. <laughs> but uh, Catherine, uh, she's the producer for Nights with Alice Cooper. A syndicated show, of course, hosted by the uh, the legendary Alice Cooper, who was just in uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. He was. Right? It was so cool to see him singing to John Legend. Well, actually, kind of belittling and demeaning John Legend as Jesus. So that's always a fun way to spend an evening. I'm going to have to go back and watch it because I don't want to just watch the clips because I made the mistake and still am making the mistake of watching The Walking Dead instead. Because it's just, uh, I don't know, that show has kind of jumped the, the zombie shark. A little bit, but I'm, I'm sticking with it. So that was on at the same time. So I'm going to go back and, and watch it. But he got rave reviews. He did. Was... I mean, it was pretty much typecasting because it, it was the same kind of sneering, snarling of King Herod, that, that Al, character that Alice plays on stage. So it wasn't a stretch for him, but he was perfection. But to do a live play like that, I mean. I was nervous. It, but that's that's insane. Because, I mean, he's used, obviously, live performances. I mean, he's been doing, you know, touring for God knows how many decades. But has he done plays before? I don't even know. Not Any, that nothing I Nothing like that, of course, but... No, not that I can think of. And I, I didn't see what the audience was, you know, the TV audience of millions. But, I mean, I think that would freak me out. You know, you can't just cover it up and laugh it off. You know, you're, you're looking, there's five cameras around you, and it's live. Yeah, yeah, and... Uh, just you, like us right here. <laughs> well, we're live into each other. Live, live enough for a podcast. I'm super nervous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can, I can tell. I'm sure. But you were at some of the also the uh, some of the dress rehearsals, weren't you? Yeah, I got to go to one dress rehearsal, which was great. But I mean, the dress rehearsal it wasn't some casual thing. It was, you know, exactly the show. It wasn't them just, oops, I messed up. Oh, let me have a, a soda now. It was, you know, the whole thing right That's cool. through. Apparently, what they do is they record the whole thing in case something does go terribly wrong during the live performance, and then they can just cut away. Mm, so, yeah, gotcha. you know, if someone tripped and fell and broke their nose, oops. You know, excuse me, we're experiencing yes. technical yeah, that, difficulties. Yeah, the screen goes. The screen goes. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do when that happens? <laughs> I, I have no idea. Dead that's, air. That's too funny. So, and also, uh, in addition to uh, 
Catherine being the producer for Nights with Alice Cooper. Uh, author extraordinaire, Louder Than Hell, The Definitive Oral History of Metal, which is uh, still, you know, still on bookshelves everywhere. You can get it on Amazon. Um, I mean, just some of the names who contributed, in case if you didn't hear uh, 21, who are some of the names that... You yeah, got. well, the, the, when we started the book with my co-author, John Wiederhorn, they said, you know, interview about 150 people. And uh, we ended up with more than 300 people from, you know, Randy Blatt, Lamb of God, to Ozzy. We, uh, I had some old Dio interviews from, of course, when he was alive. Mm-hmm. We didn't channel him afterwards. And uh, No hologram. We, no. no. I mean, we talked to, I mean, I talked to everyone from, uh, you know, Leslie West from Mountain, because they toured with Sabbath in the early days, and to Guns N' Roses. Maybe you've heard of them. Uh, maybe. I think we have all members covered, except maybe Izzy, from previous interviews that I've done with, with all the members. So I was able to include that in Louder Than Hell, which was amazing. Yeah, that's, that's why one of the reasons why we had you on episode 21, because a lot of G&R ties, in, to, in addition to just all your great stories and everything like that. Uh, I'm not sure that episode if I had too many sound clips, though. If I mm, you mean you had too many or there weren't enough? That's a, Well, that's actually <laughs> a, a good that's a good question. But uh, I don't be scared by this sound clip because we start off every show now, 56 episodes, uh, with uh, a new segment, Shotgun News. Shotgun News! I have problems, Catherine, and they have not changed. So uh, welcome to, again, uh, episode 56. Uh, first, I got to thank uh, Alternative Nation, who I guess you can say is sponsoring the uh, the show because we're on alternativenation.net, featured on their website and, and Twitter and Facebook. And uh, the last episode that we did with Jeff Rouse from uh, Duff McKagan's Loaded, he wrote a really great article uh, about Jeff uh, because Jeff was talking to us about an uh, upcoming benefit he has uh, a Seattle musician's benefit all to uh, to benefit Mother Love Bone. So he's going to be contributing to that. And it was a really cool story about uh, Jeff Ament from uh, Pearl Jam giving uh, Jeff, uh, I guess too many Jeffs there, uh, giving them his, his bases from that time in Mother Love Bone, which is pretty, pretty rad. Yeah, pretty rad. Wait, hold on, my sound. That's pretty yeah. radical. Radical, radical, radical. That's Duff, your friend Duff, mm-hmm. and and Raphael from the Nature Turtles. So that's more sound. I nice. knew that. I'll try to keep them at a minimum a little bit. So again, uh, thanks to alternativenation.net. Uh, also, part of our shotgun news, and uh, maybe you can contribute a, a little bit to this, uh, Catherine, because I know you were at uh, a very infamous Hollywood vampire show. Yes, and uh... I think we spoke about it on that episode when Joe Perry collapsed. Yeah, that was in Coney Island, and uh, they did a meet-and-greet before the show, which is unusual. Usually it's afterwards. So I was chatting with Joe, you know, 20 minutes before he passed out, and then, you know, we we kind of saw him go down behind the, the drums, and then people rushed to carry him off. So... Well, thankfully, I mean, it's obviously been a while since then, and he's been—he's healthy. He's uh, going to be touring with them again. However, part of the new segment, uh, Matt Sorum, not going to be touring, not going to be part of uh, Hollywood Vampires, uh, recently telling uh, Loudwire, oh, he's going to credit people. Not everyone does that. That's uh, We appreciate it, us, yeah. us journalists. Uh, so he told uh, Loudwire that he felt he needs to go back to uh, being in his own driver's seat. Uh, saying that it was fun, he likes hanging out with those guys, and Alice Cooper is a hero of mine, so is Joe Perry, and he's known Johnny Depp since the 80s, so it was great to go, get back and talk and hang out with him. Uh, so he's a really great guy, super cool, intelligent, well, he's just 
fluffing uh, Depp. Uh, but that it was a, the point. The point being, I'd that, like to do that. <laughs> I, you know what? If I had a hall pass, right? I honestly, mm-hmm. Depp is my guy. Right, right. I'll admit that. Uh, but he goes on to say that it was a nice little memory. Talk about the vampires and a piece of my life, and that said, um, Velvet Revolver was probably the highlight of his career. Believe it or not, I mean, this is com- coming from the guy who's been in the cult and Guns N' Roses, but uh, Velvet was the highlight. That's interesting. I wonder. I, I only saw that. I saw them two or three times, and he was great in that band. Um, I think he was. He, he was. I, I. I should have gotten the entire quote in front of me, but it was more of like loose ends for him. Okay. I think that's what tied up, and it was kind of like its own entity because he joined Guns. It wasn't his band. This was his band. So it, it is interesting that he leaves the vampires because they're going to be uh, on tour again. I believe also they're going to be doing uh, one of the festival dates. Uh, yeah. Hel- Hellfest, maybe? They're doing Hellfest in France, Yes, which I would love to go to. Oh, but they're doing, um, when I guess it all ties it together. Grass Pop? Or? Yeah, Grass mm. Pop, which is going to be with Body Count and Guns N' Roses. And we're going to talk about that with Ernie C coming up in just a Why don't a we minutes. go to that festival and broadcast live? If you can get that funded. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. We'll do it from the back of someone's tour bus, and it'll be loud and noisy, but we'll do it. Hey, if you want to talk to Andy from United Stations, you know, maybe we, we can do something. Hmm. I'll, I'll give him a, a heads up and see what he thinks. Hey, you never know what this can grow into. Maybe, I, I, hey, I can be the next uh, Lou Brutus. Ooh. You, you never know. I would love to talk to, uh, to Lou. I've reached out to, uh, to our buddy Bill Powell, who uh, produces that show. Uh, hard Drive XL. And I'm glad. That's one of the, the few shows that will play, radio shows syndicated, that will play new music and old school. So they'll play GNR and they'll play the pretty reckless back-to-back, yes. things like that. Exactly. So that's, so that's pretty great. So um, unless you have anything else to, to add to, to that, I think that does it for Shotgun News. News. And I believe um, right now we're getting a call from Ernie C, but the phone is shaking. I wonder if that means there's a... Wow, that's kind of strange. An earthquake. Huh. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, So on the phone uh, with us right now, uh, Ernie C., the legendary guitarist from uh, from Body Count. And uh, before... uh, Well, you can say hello, first of all. Hello, first of all. Hi. (laughs) So good. So I'm going to kind of uh, counteract your humor with some humor of mine. Uh, I'm going to try to introduce you with this clip and hopefully introduce you better than Space Ghost, okay? Oh, my God. Smack him. One time. (laughs) See? Mr. T and his friend Ernie aren't afraid of the ghost. Yeah, Maltar. It just wants to possess your soul. No. Peace. We're ghosts. His friend Ernie. I'm not going to say his friend Ernie. Do you remember that taping? I remember that quite well because it's done at the building here in Los Angeles that's now the CNN building. And, okay. and it, it, it was upstairs from Priority Records in the same building that Priority Records was in. So you went in there with a bunch of gangsters when you first walk in there. And so um, we, we did that. And you, you know, it, 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 actually, Space Ghost wasn't there. We just talked <laughs> to a, this tennis ball that was floating around. A, a guy fed us questions and we just answered the questions. So I remember that quite well. It was like, it, it was kind of cool. I remember that day quite well. Space Ghost isn't real? Oh my God. Santa's not no, real? No. But, Believe it, I was expecting him to be real. I was in there going, where's, where's Ghost at? They're like, oh, man, you know what? That's he too funny. But unlike the uh, the tennis ball or space ghost, I mean, uh, you know, I'm not gonna. We're gonna focus, of course, on on body count. We're gonna talk about Guns N' Roses, but I want to find about more about you know Ernie Cunningham. Uh, but where are you calling? 
trying to get what? What? There's no H's. There's no H. You got to oh. look that name. I want you I want Catherine to say it since I can't pronounce it. Ernie Cunnigan. C U N N I G A N. Yes. There's no H's. That's that's see that's the un, the, the professionalism that I have. Uh, otherwise, if he was Cunningham, he'd be on Happy Days. <laughs> yeah, you know, and people used to call me that all the time, Mister. That's why Mister. C. People still call me Mister. C. Oh my God, that's too funny. Tom Bosley is one of my favorite people. <laughs> and, and also, go ahead. Go ahead I was just going to say, do you remember those commercials? Hey, Culligan man. So yes, Culligan man. So that's, yeah. Well, they might not. They might not know because that's the L.A. Water. Yes, person. exactly. So water. But the cool people know. And right. also, if you if you're reading that bio right there, I didn't grow up in Compton. So let's. That I know. That I do know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we didn't grow up in Compton. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm scared of Compton. You you grew up in Detroit, right? I, I, my early life was in Detroit. I came out here when I was in uh, the seventh grade. All right, so I'm not I, a complete idiot. No, 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 no. Just partial. <laughs> uh, you know, I grew, I grew, I grew up in. Detroit. As a matter of fact, fifty years ago, when when Martin Luther King got got shot, mm-hmm. I was in Detroit. I was in Detroit. I remember my father coming to me. I was raised by me and my father and a Jewish white lady. Well, of course, she was white, but but she was a Jewish lady. She she uh, lived in the same house with us. So wait, uh, her, was yeah. that, like what was her relation? Because I would be freak out if I found out Ernie C is uh, is partially no, no, Jewish. No. She, no, she was. She was just. Uh, my father knew her, and we. Uh, she had a house, and we rented some space from her in the house. Okay. And what was it? What interesting was it was in Detroit during the '60s. It was high. Uh, you know, racism was at all time high, and she would. You know, this Jewish lady would would take me to Boy Scouts. She'd take me to uh, the, the 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 Muslims in the neighborhood. They had a youth center. She'd drop me off at the youth center, and she would you know she would take me to wrestling. I'd see Bobo Brazil and you know Tex Cobb and all all these other you know uh, wrestlers. And she, she you know that's why I'm I always consider myself Jewish. <laughs> I love it. And when I was when I was young, I was about eight nine years old. Her relatives would come. All her Jewish relatives would come over, and she she when I, when I was very young, she she just make this popcorn that was so good, and she would tell me, "Do not tell them that I cooked this in bacon grease." <laughs> I couldn't figure that out. <laughs> not kosher, of course. Yeah, she was like she would tell me over and over, "Don't go in there and say you she cooked it because they were just eating it like it was going out of style." She said, "Don't tell them that they cooked it in bacon grease." <laughs> That I would never have known, whether that's saying your name wrong or, uh, I don't know, that's, that's too funny. Uh, so wait, you're calling from L.A. right now, correct? Yes, L.A. We just had an earthquake like like half an hour ago. So I mean, yeah, you were telling me that because I, I mean, my, my shock came off the air, so I don't want to feign shock right now. And you could have used it. I mean, I would have understood, hey, we, I have an, there's an earthquake. I have to cancel the interview. So thank you for, uh, well, I'm glad no, you're okay, obviously, right? Earthquake, earthquakes don't stop music. Music, the show must go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it, but um, where in LA? Like, what did you like? I, in New York, we don't feel earthquakes, so I have, I've never experienced one. You know, because you're just no. laughing it off, and me and you know my little, my Jewish <laughs> small little body, I'm freaking out. Oh my god, earthquake! And I was telling you, uh, just because we're having snow in April, I'm freaking out. So an earthquake, I don't know how it, I would handle it. No, this, I, I barely felt it. If I felt it at all, I couldn't. You know, the people uh, near the water—it was out in the water. So, you know, the people over there would, you know, feel it more. So, eh, it wasn't bad. 
All right. A little rumbling of, a little rumbling of the earth, you know? The earth got mad for a minute. Mm. Well, we're going to get to uh, L.A. In just, uh, in just a few, but I do want to talk about Detroit then, because you said you were there until like 7th, 7th, 8th grade? That was great. You know, I, you know I, my early guitar playing, I just play guitar in Detroit, but I wanted to play guitar in Detroit because down the street from me, there, there was a guy named Dennis Coffey lived down the street. He had a band called uh, uh, Dennis Coffey and the Detroit Guitar Band. And I, he used to rehearse in his living room. And I remember going down there when I was young, like eight, nine years old, when kids could walk around the neighborhood at eight, nine years old on their own. And I remember seeing him play. He had a song called Scorpio. It was a big hit. I mean, like a, but uh, it, it, it seemed like there was 50 guitar players in the band because everybody was so big and had these wah-wahs. And I just remember they had uh, pants with the, uh, the flares on them and, you know, puff sleeve shirts and apple hats. And it was, I just wanted to do that. I wanted to play guitar because they looked so cool, you know. But there's only like three guitar players in the band. But when I was so young, it seemed like there was 50, like the room was filled with guitar players. So when I, uh, so that's that's what got me interested in playing the guitar. Well, like, what kind of kid were you? I always ask all my guests this: like, were you a reserve kid? Were you outgoing? Because obviously now, and we've come to to know and love you over the years, you're very outgoing and friendly. Were you always like? No, that? no, no I, I'm not outgoing. I'm I'm very <laughs> very quiet. You know, that's mm-hmm. why I have a singer that's very outgoing. True. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like you know, I. Um, I was just a, a normal kid, you know, non-confrontational, which I am now. You know what I mean? To be non-confrontational, to be in a very confrontational band, I mean, sometimes you you see that often, more often than you think. Yeah, you know, I, I, I get all my aggression out, you know, in our music, you know. So me, myself, I'm pretty calm, I think, you know. I don't I don't get upset. I don't really get mad and things like that, you know. No, plus, plus, growing up in Detroit, I remember down the street from us, there was a family that had like 10 kids. You know, I was the only child. So I remember um, I was having a fight with one of the kids and then the, Miss Judy, who, who raised me, she went down there to talk to, you know, she brought me back down there to talk to all of them. My father told me later, don't ever bring that lady down there to talk to all these black people. You know, I, I couldn't figure out, I didn't figure out race. I couldn't figure out race. And she she was just like, I'm going to go down there and put the, the kid that I had to fight with, with the 10 brothers and sisters that were all going to come down to my house and beat me up. They we became very we got closer after that and, and but my father was like really upset that she went down and, I, and that was my first first thing race I didn't understand race when I was young so it took me a while to, to get a comprehension of that yeah especially if you were raised uh, you know with a white uh, white Jewish woman in your family um, yeah. along <laughs> with your dad I mean you had a, a nice uh, array of experience and, and background yeah. growing up and the initially. thing about it is she. Was, she would take me to the, the uh, where, where the, the the Muslims were, which was uh, Elijah Muhammad at the time. You know, way back when it was, you know the Black Muslims start. She'd take me there and bring me in and everything. And everybody look at her and say, "Hey, Miss Judy, how you doing? I'm dropping Ernest off, and I'll be there." Because they would take care of kids in the neighborhood. They had a, like a youth center to, to keep things. And then there was like everybody was like. Kill Whitey. I'm like, I live with Whitey. I love Whitey. <laughs> at home with, Whitey's at home with me, you know? <laughs> so I didn't quite get a comprehension of it. But she'd come pick me up, and everybody'd be like loving her. And I was just like, this is very confusing, you know? But yeah, I figured it out. It really just shows you that racism is taught, it's not born, 
in you. It's it's taught by somebody. And we're gonna, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, uh, talk about that, of course, because you're banned in you know uh, in, in Guns N' Roses in, in a variety of ways. Uh, so, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah we're, we're, I'm going to play a clip from you later. Axel talking about racism and uh, uh-huh, know, uh-huh. an old article to, when you guys were uh, vetoed from a couple of GNR shows. We'll get to that. But uh, when you moved to LA, since you were so young, was that for school reasons? What made you move out to it? Was it Compton, or since Wikipedia is wrong? Or... <laughs> we moved to South Central LA, right? South Central, which is north of Compton, north, you know, north of Compton. You got to fix your Wikipedia, because... man. <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> but uh, we moved out of there because it was the '70s, and the auto. And we got out of Detroit just in time. My father wanted to come back out here because he lived here in the '40s and '50s in LA, and it was like the cool part of town over on a street called Central, where all the cool bands play. You know, Duke Ellington, and it was like the party town. You know what I mean? Over there it was like party town. My father liked it, so he was just like, you know. I'm going to, I want to move back to LA. You know, he got tired of Detroit and he got out of the auto industry just in time because, you know, the auto industry fell apart sure. in the 70s, you know. But he was a member of the UAW and all that kind of stuff. So he left a lot. So he came out here and, you know, this is where I met everyone. My, my life, you know, I, I was all alone and I got out here and the first person I met was a guy who started the Bloods. And he came to my door, knocked at my door because we had a, uh, a house. South Central, me and my father, he knocked at the door and says, hello, my name is Butchie. I run the neighborhood. My friend Chris, when he gets back, you're going to be fighting him. I'm like, what? I'm like, wow. This is how I get introduced to coming. To, I'm like, what? What am I going to be doing? <laughs> no, no, no. You're the, the wrong guy. So anyway, so uh, that's my introduction to California. I mean, he just <laughs> knocked at my door. I mean, like, I'm... Hey, like I it's live not Avon calling, no, it's something else. <laughs> no, he's like, I live across the street from you. I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. And when my friend Chris gets back from his vacation, you're going to be fighting him. I run the neighborhood. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it was all, and I left all my friends. You know, I was just by myself, and I didn't know who, what to do. You know. See, I want to get to because you you could have gone that path, and you've gone this, you know, this this positive path, and that's how you met. Our, uh, our dear co-host for today, Catherine, uh, in the L.A. scene. And uh, I don't think mm-hmm. Catherine was a crip or a blood. I don't think so, right? No, I was not jumped into a gang, or I, I didn't have to fight Chris or Butchie. <laughs> so, I, don't know, I, I don't know how you avoided that, living there. I mean, uh, you know. and I, I... What happened was I went for a walk to the market, and I met uh, this guy, and I, you know, he's like, "Hey, who are you?" And I'm like, "I'm Ernie." And it ends up being my my drummer Vic that passed. It ends up being Vic, okay. and uh, people that lived on another street over, they were all nice. <laughs> on my street, they were like gang members and everything. But his family was all, you know, they're like, "Hey," I said, "I met this guy named Butchie." Oh, you met Butchie? Oh, yeah, Butchie's this and that. And like, I oh, don't worry about him. I'm like, and so then I met. Vic, my drummer, my original drummer, and his family, and I met all these other people that were going a different direction that weren't in gangs. That's what kind of, you know, saved me. And you were only like 14 then or something, right? Yeah, about, four, about 14, 13 years old, 13. So I, I, met, I met Vic, and, you know, and he's like, we, we play music and this and that, and I was like, I was going to get a guitar, you know. So, I, I you know, uh, 
I think I, 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 my father took me to, to a pawn shop. We bought a guitar, Tesco Del Rey, which if I had now would be worth something. It's like it's like the cheapest guitar you can. I think it was like twenty seven dollars or something like that. Hmm. And um, now people want this guitar. All these, you know, what are they now? Millennials or yuppies or whatever they, whatever they are. They, <laughs> they, 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 they yes. play them in their bands now. Like, yeah, they play them in their bands. So. Oh, for sure. Um, so that's that's how you met Vic, and I guess you're you're finally surrounding yourself with with good people. Uh, yeah. How do, I mean, I know you've told the story uh, other and other outlets, but how did you eventually uh, meet Ice T? Well, well, there were different. Well, I, met, I didn't meet Ice T till high school. This was junior high, so I went through three years of, of, of junior high learning how to play and all this kind of stuff. But Vic. And we lived in the 50s. Vic knew a lot of people in the 40s. So I met Ice in like, I was in like the 10th, 10th grade or okay. something like that. Because uh, I think I was in the 9th grade and he was in the 10th grade because uh, he's one year ahead of me. All right, so I then. met him. Okay. Well, maybe before we, we jump to the Ice then with you yeah. and, and Vic uh, and being um, in that area and you guys being into rock, and mm-hmm. how was that per- perceived? Because uh, I'm, I'm, I, it was before hip hop really hit. Well, right? I only got into rock. I only got into rock because uh, a friend of mine that used to listen to me play. Cause I used to practice on the porch, you know, all the time. But you know, Butchie became my friend. The, the gangster Butchie, let me just, you know, I used to practice all the time on the porch, and he used to walk across the on the and say, Ernie, you know, you're gonna be something, you know, and this and that. He actually kept me from people from beating me up. Mm. You know, he, he became, he said, I like you. You know, you're not, after a while, he was like, he, he didn't knew I didn't want to be in the gang. He's like, you just play the guitar. And, and he would, you know, when I went to junior high school, people would, you know, mess with me. He, he's like, you just keep on walking, Ernie. Let me deal with this guy. He would take care of me from all my life. I mean, he he died at 19. He was driving a car at 14 with a shotgun in the front seat at 14. So you know he was on a fast path to die, you know, just from the way he grew up. And if you didn't have that guitar, I mean, you could have easily been on that path as well. Yeah, but, but I used to practice guitar all day long on the porch, and he would come across, and he I play, I learned the songs that he liked. And he's like, play Jungle Boogie. I'm like, I play Jungle Boogie. Play Let's Get It On. I play Let's Get It On. Play, you know, you know, I play all the songs he, he liked. Play uh, Come and Get Your Love by Redbone. Play, you know, so I learned all those songs. And I, I always play them for him. And he was like, whenever, like, he would tell everybody, because he used to tell everyone, wear a white T-shirt to, to school. Because I was a gang. That's what they wore, white T-shirts and Levi's. This is Ernie, you don't have to wear it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> because... Because he was a blood, and we used to go walk to go to school. We used to have to walk through Crip territory. I mean, I, so I can't even imagine. He used to make everybody wear this outfit to walk through Crip territory. It's, I mean, it'd be like forty people, you know. So it's really wasn't no thing. It's like forty of us walking. And I have to assume that there was no one like you that would get this kind of hall pass not to join a, the gang, to join no, these gangs. No, only because I lived across the street from him. And, and another reason why uh, he, we raised pigeons. Me and my friend Michael, we raised pigeons. Butchie wasn't scared of nothing in his life, but he was scared of pigeons. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, the man I haven't heard anything people. like that other than from Mike Tyson with uh with pigeons. No, he, he, yeah, he was he he wasn't scared of nothing. wasn't scared of people. You know, nothing. He was, dogs, just like the meanest man ever. But he was scared of birds, just, of pigeons, and we raised pigeons. So we'd go in the back. He would never come back there. And then in his attic, in his attic, there was a whole pigeons lived on the roof of his house. And he would hear, I think he, they flew through his house one time when he was sleeping and he was scared of pigeons. And we used to come up there and get the pigeons out of his attic for him. Wow. That's, a, that's the weirdest thing ever. That's the weirdest thing ever. But it has something to do with him sleeping and the birds coming down out of the roof, you know, through the, the thing to go, the ladder that goes up to the roof. And it's, it's some crazy psycho stuff. I was about to say, that's, that sounds very uh, Alfred Hitchcockian. Uh, wow. <laughs> He was scared to death of pigeons. The man that would, would take a shotgun and kill people was scared of birds. And we, we would have our birds fly around. You know, you clap your hands, make the birds do flips and things like that. They were strange. <laughs> he, was, he was like, those are birds flying around. Are they coming back? I'm like, yeah, they're going to be back in a little while. He would, he would just, I'll talk to you later. I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he knew you were the bird guy, too. You were Birdman before Birdman. That's what he was afraid. <laughs> it's the funniest thing in the world. Once I, I, I thought about it when I got older. I'm like, why was he afraid of pigeons? Anyway, so that's the, that's the weirdest thing ever. Well, I, I have to imagine, was Ice-T afraid of anything when you uh, when you first met him then? Let's just skip uh, forward to so I, 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 like, Okay, so I met Ice in high school. Uh, Ice was a, a break dancer. You know, he, he, he used to, well, first of all, they, they were doing all kinds of crimes. You know, him and their friends, they were doing all kinds of, my drummer Vic, he was a criminal. And, and Ice, they were kind of criminals. And they, different crews knew each other. And Ice, they, they started break dancing. Break dancing was uh, kind of a, a thing where you'd have competitions. It was like, a because uh, we were in a movie called Electric Boogaloo, which is like breakdancing as competitions where you you go up with somebody and they have the hat on, you flip their hat off and you do a move. You know, they do it now, but right back then, it was instead of using guns, they really, you know, it was real gangsters in... Um, in um, like you got served you know, kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. You know, and our, our my Shawnee Sean, who's in my band, he used to dance with a guy, uh, uh, Michael, who was, uh, what's Michael's name? Michael is an actor. He was in, uh, uh, I can't think of Michael's name. Uh, uh, I can't think of Michael's name. Uh, uh, what movie was he in? Uh, uh, with Robert De Niro. Uh, um, he was a cop. Anyway, I can't think of his name, but he was hot dog and Sean was weenie dog. Everybody had their own cliques of dances. And I used to back up the, the, uh, I had a little band, Vic would play the drums and we used to have a little band. We used to back up the drummers. I mean, back up the dancers. They used to like to dance to pick up the pieces by AWB. That was their favorite song to break dance to. Hmm. You ever heard that one? That's just that's uh, not a world I'm familiar with either. That's why I, I love so, having you on, Ernie. I mean, this is just so, a, a lot of things that I have, you know, growing up as this, you know, a little twerp on Long Island. I, I've never experienced break dancing and being recruited by gangs. And uh, <laughs> so, 
so what was Ice afraid of? When I first met Ice, he, you know, like I said, he he used to do the craziest jumps. He was a, he was in gymnastics. He was real skinny, and he used to do these crazy things where he he jumped up in the air and landed on his knees. That's why he had bad bad knees, you know, because you know it messes up. It's worse than football. Breakdancing was you know worse than football. So he landed on his knees and he did all kind of you know. He, he was good. You know, we, we, we used to talk about him because he used to do the craziest stuff, you know. Cause it, we called him Trey. We didn't we didn't call him Ice necessarily. I used to call him Trey because his name is Tracy. So we called him we called him Trey. Okay. So when you, um, you know, because I, I know we only got to hear uh, you here for a limited time. Uh, so like when, when you started, when you did you want to start a band? Like how did that come about with, with, with well, Trey? Okay. So what happens is we, we do uh, electric boogaloo. We do rap. And this is the early, this is the 80s, you know. After he got out the Army, he came back and he said to me, he says, I mean, there's this new style of music. He wanted me to write some songs, you know, because I was, he knew me from high school because he was going to the Army for a while. And he got back and he's like, you know, he came to me and said, there's this new style of music. Listen to this and see, can you do this? And it was run DMC stuff, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like rock box. And we were listening, I'm listening to going, Okay, that's pretty cool. The drummer's really on time. It was a drum machine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we we his first record, Dog on Wax, some of that stuff. I, I I did some early stuff, really early stuff with him. That that uh, you know, just we were just experimenting because we really I really didn't know what it was. I thought I thought it was it needed more instruments. You know, musicians when you come from being a musician, it's like it needs more. And like the scratching, you know, you needed more. Now I consider DJs uh, uh, musicians because I've, I've listened to them, what they do. It takes time and practice and things like that. So we did that. And then he went to New York for a while. And then he came back and says, I got a record deal. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And he says, uh, we started, we, we did his first record. And then he's like, he's like, you start your band. So I started a band with, with Vic and, you know, is that what uh, you wanted? Did, is that what you wanted? Did you, um, did you, were you just happy playing the guitar or was it your, always your goal to be like, Hey, I want to be in a band and I want to make this my career. You know, did you have no. vision that young? No, no, no. He, gave, he gave me some money. He said, do some demos of stuff with you singing and this and that. First of all, auditioning singers and that didn't go too well. Because then I always have an argument about the BRC because I went to the BRC with the Black Rock Coalition, you know, okay. and I went to them to kind of help out, you know, and I, and I like and that goes back to my childhood about not having putting race on anything. But I went to the BRC because I, I and they were treating me worse than anyone. So I, I you know, so I, I went to them. And I'm like, I did a demo. With, with like three songs that ended on the first record. And uh, and Ice, we had a little band. Uh, D-Rock was my friend. He came in, the original guitar player. He was my friend. And he came in and played. Then we had Moose. Moose was Vic's friend. And we got the band together. And then on the first gigs that we did here in L.A., uh, 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 Catherine, you know this place called... Um, Mancini's, you ever heard of this? Yeah, in the Valley, right? Was it? Yeah, we did. We did our first show there at Mancini's, and um, I was the singer. You know, Ice was just coming out to get the record company to come, and he would sing one song, and I would sing the other stuff. And after a while, after we did the show, I'm like, 
I really don't feel comfortable doing this. I'm not Hendrix. I just want to play guitar. And so he says, okay, let me sing a little more. And so he learned the, the songs. And then the second show that we did at the Coconut Teaser, Hot Rod Show. Oh, yes. You know, we did Hot Rod Show. He sang. And then, uh, no, we did, we did it the second show at Raji's. Wow. And that was a legendary dive, really more punk rock than anything there. Yeah, yeah, we did that at Rogers. So we went there, and then the band started getting some following around town, you know. And then we did a show at um, what's the name of the place? Um, uh, the Coconut Teaser. And then Seymour Stein flew out because you know we were, we were shopping around trying to get a deal for the band. So Seymour flew out from New York, and, and Seymour came through the thing and says. I like your band. All, all he's ever said to me all my life is, I like your band. You're going to be very successful. <laughs> and then that, that's all I heard from Seymour. And then the next day, you know, uh, you know, two days later, we had a check for $75,000. Wow. So then I said, he says, no, it wasn't wow. He says, welcome to the music business. He says, how much money do you owe me? He says, here's the phone paper. Let's figure it out. So I, I, and he says, give you guys about three, $4,000 a piece in this net. And I'm like, after I figured out how much money he owed me from helping me out and demos and guitars, and I owed him like $45,000. Like I paid the band. And after I got through, I had like $2,000 left out of seventy five. That's welcome to the music business. <laughs> but that's so amazing how much uh, ICE like supported you and helped you. I mean, you, there was no guarantee that you would be successful, uh, but obviously no. you were. But ICE believed in you at the beginning. It sounded like he wanted you to kind of start your own band to be the singer. And, you know, it turned out you weren't comfortable with that. But it sounded like he was no, just no. super supportive he, he, and wanted you to succeed. And, and you know, and the thing about it was that made the band better because I'm heavy metal. This heavy metal stuff, that's me. He's more punk rock. True. My first record, my first record sounds punk rock. Because I have some friends that listen to my record and say, that's a punk record. I was trying to make a, a metal record, but the band, when we did our first record, the band wasn't good enough to do a metal record. Metal records, metal bands are really good and they're real precise. Sure. You know, punk bands, here's my musician opinion punk bands are a little looser you know what i mean i wanted to be like led zeppelin you know but the thing about it was we did we did um seven shows in la and then the next thing we know we're playing Lollapalooza. (laughs) (laughs) so so we got thrown out there really fast after we finished Lollapalooza, we started we did 14 shows and we're getting ready to start recording the record you were thrown into the fire right away. Wow. Did you were you able to had time to process any and, of this? And no, that's why it went really fast. So the catch about it is, I always say people are like your band's really good. When we played Lollapalooza, we only played for fifteen minutes. We only knew nine, eight songs or something like that total. Uh, eight songs we knew. We played five of them, or four <laughs> of them in fifteen minutes. So the band is really. People were like, "This band is great because we played for fifteen minutes." It was the right amount of time for that new band to play. To keep them wanting. For people to just, yeah. And so when our record came out, it it it, it did really well just because of playing that little amount of time. What year was that Lollapalooza show? 91. Okay. Right. So so I have to and ask, I, I, Ernie, uh, like you, I am an only child, so I didn't have uh-huh. the, the older brother to turn me on to, to metal. Who turned you on to metal? Did your, did your dad listen to it? I mean... 
You know, I'm, no, no, no. My, oh, my dad listened to, you know, uh, my dad had me listening to uh, uh, Duke Ellington and stuff like that. You know, he loves Satchmo, and that's what, that's what I know from him. But uh, I, a friend of mine in the neighborhood, he, he, he came back from the Army, and he heard me playing on the porch. And he says, you ever heard of uh, Jimmy Page? I'm like, who? No. He's like, he went and got all his cassette tapes and gave me Rush, Jimmy Page, uh, uh, Deep Purple, uh, uh, Ronnie Montrose. He gave me all these cassettes. He gave me like 50 cassettes. He says, listen to this. And that's how I got into metal. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know for me. I By the time I was in 11th and 12th grade, I was driving to the Troubadour to see Wasp and Quiet Riot and stuff just because, uh-huh. you know, it was close by to me. And, you know, that's just hap- <laughs> happened into it. You know. And then, and then later on, when I used to go from South Central, I used to go up to those clubs too. And I, I saw Van Halen at the Starwood, and you know, remember the Starwood right there? Oh There's yeah, Santa there. Monica Boulevard. That was legendary and apparently run by a, a gangster guy. That makes sense. Yes, <laughs> I think he might still be in jail. In fact, <laughs> yeah, we should go to Starwood right there on Crescent Heights in Santa Monica. <laughs> wow, yeah, I only made it there a few times because that must have closed by the mid '80s, maybe. I think. Yeah, cause I was good, yeah, I was good at early '80s. But you know, what about Matter of fact, my, maybe the '70s. I went there in the '70s. Well, I, I think that's also where the early Motley Crue, like when it was London and Snow and Nikki Six and all oh, yeah. those bands, played uh-huh, there. Uh-huh. I know London, yeah. Yeah. I remember that band. Do you remember the first oh, show you saw? The first metal show you saw? Oh, the first good metal show I saw? Uh, whatever was, you want uh, to answer. Yeah, first, yeah. <laughs> I saw Bon Jovi. Bon that Jovi's not metal, but bon I guess. Jovi. Yeah, I consider it metal. I consider that metal, you know. Maybe, sure, early. As a matter of fact, matter of fact my, my bass player is Richie's guitar tech. Oh, okay. And, he, and Richie has a, a body count shirt and jacket and shirt and everything he wears and hats and stuff now. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of funny, you know? That is, that's too funny. So um, to go back, so you're in 1991, you're playing Lollapalooza. Lollapalooza. And we got on Lollapalooza. Here's an interesting story. We got on Lollapalooza because um, Perry was putting it together, and we did a song with Perry back in 88 called Nigga Whitey, which is written by Sly Stone. I used to live with Sly Stone. He lived in a house with me in Pacific Palisades, you know, with me and my kids and everything like that. And Sly went to rehab and, and, um, and I was a messenger delivering packages to a place, and I saw Perry Farrell talking to someone, and, this and I kind of listened to the conversation. He's like, I'm trying to, you know, do this song, nigga whitey and i'm trying to get you know blah 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 i, I said i know sly i was just out the blue in the office litman kahane which is like man, a big management firm i said i know sly stone they're like what who are you I'm like i'm the messenger delivering packages here i know sly stone <laughs> and, I, and they talked to sly and they, they set it all up and they were going to record the song and i called up sly the day he was supposed to do it and he's like they're like, he left. He's in rehab. I'm like, what? And, and so I'm sitting in the, the studio with the cameras and everybody. And they're like, where's Sly? I'm like, oh, he can't be here. But do you know Ice-T? <laughs> like, yeah, we love Ice-T. I said, Ice maybe can do this. So I called up Ice. Ice was recording back on the, black, back on the block with Quincy Jones. 
like 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 a quarter of a mile away. So I said, Ike, can you get over here and, and do this? And he really didn't know who Perry was. So he came here. We went through the song, Don't Call Me Nigga, Whitey, Don't Call Me Whitey, Nigga, blah, 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 blah. And we recorded that for The Gift, you know, for the movie that his wife was doing called The Gift. Okay. And so we we did that. And so when, uh, when uh, Perry got ready to do um, Lollapalooza, he called up Ice and said, you got a slot on this. And then Ice said to me, he says, since you helped do this, your band has a slot on this. So he got 45 minutes. He did 30 minutes of rap, and Body Count did 15 minutes. That is great, all because of you. That's I was that was the first time I think I saw you guys. I didn't see any of your early shows, but I did. I feel that was the Lollapalooza was down at uh, Irvine Meadows, was it? Yes, yes, yeah, right, sure yeah. was. That's the first time I saw you guys, and that, and that, Jim, that, that Jim Rose Circus sideshow. Were they on that one, or maybe that was the uh, next uh, year? No, that was next year. Because okay. the next year, the next year, Chris Cornell was on that, oh. and I used to go out with Chris. I went out and played. Um, uh, Chris covered Cop Killer, and he went out. And, I went out and played with him, played really? Cop Killer. Yeah, really. Wow. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, I was on. It, it's on a box set. Do you know that box set they did like two years ago or something like that? With King. There's a, there's a, okay. Yeah, yeah. There's a video. There's a video on the box set. I was on vacation, and so I I was down in Florida on vacation, and, and so I see I I, see, I saw. Chris and Chris says, "You know we cover cop color. You got to come out and play it. You know my my cop outline is always I'm left-handed." He says, "I said I'm left-handed." He says, "Get Ernie a guitar." He talked to Kim's guitar tech. Get Ernie a guitar. He says, "He said the guitar. He says oh, the guitar tech. Go do it now." So they grab one of Kim's guitars, change the strings around, and I went out in a banana cross. So ungangster. I'm in a banana colored cross-colored outfit, you know, and I went out there and played with her. I, I need to read your book. When are you writing this? <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah, that's, a, that's just, and you know what? I was just thinking, obviously, as a left-handed guitar player, were you big into Hendrix in your, your early days? Uh, kind of, but not really. I mean, Hendrix, Hendrix, you know, Hendrix was more blues guitar. I like Van Halen. I like Eddie. You know, I liked Eddie more than I like like I like Jimmy Page. I wanted to be Jimmy Page. I used to sneak in. You remember, Kathy, you remember up there on uh, La Cienega and uh, Sunset Boulevard? There used to be a theater there called the Tiffany. Oh theater. yeah, they used to do the Rocky Horror at midnight. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but yes. but before the before the Rocky Horror, every every night they used to play the song "Remains the Same." Oh wow. I used to, I used to sneak in there and watch the song remains the same so many times. I wanted to be Jimmy Page so bad. Have you met him? I haven't met Jimmy Page. I, I met Van Halen. Uh, I met Eddie. Eddie did the nicest thing for me. Eddie, I, I met Eddie, you know, back in the 90s, right? So, I, you know, I, I produced Sabbath. So I had a picture of me and Tony Iommi. And Tony always says, when you, if you ever had a chance to go say hi to Eddie, go say hi to Eddie, you know, and, say, and drop my name. So I went all the way down. I went to see him at the forum. This is like the 90s. And so then um, I, I, I went to security, and I, I, I met, I went up to Eddie. I was like, it was like the longest hall ever. I see him at the end of the hall. I'm like, am I going to be able to make it down there to say hi to him? It's like walking to meet God. It's like the longest hall. I'm like, Eddie's at the end of the hall. And just start running like that. <laughs> 
so I went down there, and so I, I get up to him. I said, hey, how you doing? I said, my name is Ernie. And I showed him a picture of me and Tony Yomi. He said, I produced Tony's album and, and you know, and this and that. And, and so he looked at me. He looked at he made sure it's me. He looked at me again and looked, looking back and forth. I said, I wanted, I wanted to meet you and say hello to you. He said, what did you do? I said, I'm in this band. So and so he got a pencil and paper and started writing. This is his number. This is my cell phone. I don't think it's a cell phone. This is a number to my Malibu house. This is a number to 5150. This is a number to my manager. He gave me like four numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. And so, um, so then uh, he called the house one day. And, uh, you know, we had the answer machine. And so I saved because he, he left a message saying, hey, Ernie, this is Eddie Van Halen. Give me a call when you get a second. I had that outgoing message for a year on my phone. <laughs> That's so funny. That should be your text sound now. You know what? I, I, I saved a message like that from Slash once when we were going oh, yeah. we to do an interview. And Slash called at like 9 in the morning. He's like, I just woke up. I'll see you later. Bring Jim Beam. Uh-huh. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I saved that one. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so what's the fun one? Okay, so I wanted I wanted to um, at the time Eddie was doing guitars with um, Ernie Ball, right? And they wouldn't make me a guitar left-handed, right? And so I said, Eddie, you know, I wanted one of your guitars. He said, What's the problem? I said, I'm left-handed. He says, Really? They wouldn't make you a guitar? He said, They made one for John McEnroe. They're going to make one for you. So he <laughs> called him up. <laughs> He called him up, and I got a guitar. I thought that was the coolest thing ever, you know? That's very cool. Very nice of him, too. Yeah, very nice. You know, and, and sometimes, back to racism one more time. There's people that, that have talked to me over the years about Axel being a racist. If somebody said about Eddie Van Halen, I'm like, these are two of the nicest people I ever met in my life. I don't know where you people get off of reading something and believing it. When you're talking to me, to someone who knows them and, and, and has hung with them and, and passed a bottle with Axel, you know, it's like, don't come with me, no bull crap like that to me. This you is a, a great segue to uh, the fan questions, and they're asking all these questions. Because one... Uh, because I know you're going to be doing your European tour, so we have a lot of uh-huh. European questions. Us, this is from Dirk from hey, Germany. This is some Guns N' Roses questions. Oh right? no, yeah, no, absolutely. But uh, you covered. Okay. I just want to give him credit for asking this question. Uh, Dirk from Germany. He wanted to know about you working with Black Sabbath because uh, I guess Tony didn't talk about it in his books, but you did cover a little bit working with Tony right there. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't cover it in his books because it was like. That record was really strange. You know, I think it was a lot of stress with that record. Not for me, just... In his it was life? Just stress from, oh, just from, you know, not doing a record. You know, what's her name? His, uh, Ozzy's wife hit me with a cease and desist order at the studio, and, and, and Tony said to me, he says, don't worry about that. She does that to everyone. I'm like, what? I'm not used to this. You step into a family fight, and you're like an outsider, you know? So and, <laughs> that was, it was fun. It was fun working with Tony, though. I, I like Tony a lot. You know, he was full of jokes, and we had Cozy Powell working. You know, it, Tony was a, a very light-hearted, fun guy. You know, but the, 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 everything else was kind of stressful. And you had the, <clears throat> excuse me, you had the singer Tony Martin on that, who I talked to him about you a little bit, and he's got a great voice. I don't know what he's up to at the moment, but um... yeah, yeah, you know, Tony Tony Martin, he was like. Tony would always get him to perform better. Said Ronnie used to do it like this. Dio used to do it like this, and <laughs> he would talk about Ozzy used to do it like that. And Tony would be like, "Let me go back in there and do one more, one more take." <laughs> oh, man. But Tony, Tony knew how to fire him up, you know. It, it, but the record, you know, 
that record produced itself, you know, because Tony knew what he wanted. He just kind of like me, non-confrontational and doesn't want to produce the band and tell everybody what to do. Cause I used to produce body count records myself until, you know, later on when it got, it got, you know, it's hard to produce other people in your band and be, uh, you know, like you, like the guitar, like somebody might say the guitar is loud, you know, cause you're producing it. Right. And, and like I used to do, I used to do one mix for the drummer, Vic used to have his own mix of the band because he'd be like, I can't hear the drums. I did it. Basically, a drum cue. Here's, here's your mix of the record, you know? And here's my mix. So then he heard it on the, like, that's not the same mix I have. I'm like, yeah, because yours is a drum cue, man. You, you, drums, you don't hear nothing but drums on that. <laughs> well, uh, we're gonna go, now we're going to get into the G&R stuff. And this is, we're going to stay okay. in the, uh, the fan question uh, things. Um, this is from Jay from Australia. So what were your oh, thoughts? Just got back from him. Oh, right uh-huh. on. Uh, well, Jay wants to know um, what your thoughts were when Axel used that word in uh, in One in a Million, because there are people who still claim that Axel was a racist uh, because of that song, which um, it's more of a character, uh, in, in my view, and what, the way it is, and kind of like there goes the neighborhood describing the scene. So what were your thoughts when One in a Million came out? I have no thoughts on that whatsoever. That didn't bother me. It didn't even raise an eyebrow. You know, it, it's the one, the person that says it with intent that raises the eyebrow. Exactly. So I know his, his, you know, he's, he's not that dude, you know, he can say whatever he wants to say. He's not that dude. You know, we, we do a lot of, you know, cop killer. We're killing cops. We're not killing cops. You know, he can say what he wants to, but he has, you know, that's not in his heart. You know, his bodyguard was a black man. You know, for the longest, you know. So, if you're a racist, why would you have a black man protect your life? You know. So, eh, that doesn't bother me at all. Right on. And uh, so, I guess this kind of segues into another question. I'm going to set it up with uh, a clip, and this is uh, from uh, Sorab Brownstone, which I'm <laughs> sure is not his real last name. I believe it's from Germany, mm-hmm. and I know you're going to be doing a few dates there as well, as I mentioned. Uh, so, this was uh, a rant Axel did. Uh, it's only 30 <laughs> seconds. Uh, in 1993, mm-hmm. and he was talking, he's referring to James from Metallica. All right? Oh, yeah. I watched a man named James prove that, you know, see, since I'm supposed to be the rock racist, because I used a word once, I watched a man show me that he was a motherfucking racist. Had a real big problem with iced tea and any black man is actually, you know, my rappers really talking about black man and I can't handle that out there. I watched them be really shitty to black people to work with us. That wasn't very enjoyable. So that was uh, a, a show in 93, and I also was mm-hmm. sent by a fan. I also want to give everyone credit. This is from uh, Dominic, also from Australia. I don't know, a lot of Germany, German and Australian mm-hmm. uh, fans uh, this episode. Uh, this was in uh, the LA Times, and it was talking about okay. when you guys were uh, vetoed. That's what it says. Ice-T is vetoed from two gun shows uh, because mm-hmm. of the controversy. And uh, Axel's comment on it was um, saying that it was uh, shallow-minded, saying that uh, when you guys were dropped, uh, both Ice and myself are tired of the racial crap. This was our chance to play together and show people that we're about artistic expression, not violence or prejudice. It comes down to this freedom of speech is okay as long as it doesn't piss off some public officials. So uh, what happened with the Metallica, Guns N' Roses body count shows? Well, you know, when you, there's a lot of drinking and cocaine around. Anything can happen. So, uh, <laughs> during that time, James James was doing a lot of, you know, things he shouldn't. But, you know, 
that was they they wanted us off a couple of shows. We got off a couple of shows. You know, they put Motorhead on. You know, uh, but the thing about it was, I got we got on that show because of Duff. You know, Duff was my dear friend, and he says, "What are y'all? What is your band doing? You know, the next." couple of weeks. I said, uh, nothing. We're just kind of sitting around. And he he says, you want to play some shows with us? I'm like, okay, cool. Because it kicked uh, uh, Faith No More off the show or something like that. Okay. And so um, we we went there to Kansas City. We played, you know, a bunch of shows with them. But, you know, it, it, you know, I saw Hetfield, you know, like a couple of years ago. We played with them over over in Europe, and he invited us on the stage. Before, during that time right there, he wouldn't say nothing. He'd just keep on walking. He wouldn't hang out. He hung out with us. You know, he quit drinking. He's sober. So, you know, I, I just have to let that part go. You know what I mean? I don't sure. – my, I just – you know, that was that time. And, you know, during that time, he was, you know – He's grown up, he's matured, and he's, uh, his heart's a lot better now. So, I got you. It's, I, it's a long time ago. That's why, of course, I had to establish, you know, that rant is from 1993, the article's from uh, well, 1992. But, you know, but, you know, the thing about uh, racism and things like that is people can have a tendency to get worse. But, you know, sure. if they don't fix their ways, I mean, you could get a lot worse. You know, I know some old people in their 70s, they're like, whoa, where, where did this all come from? They just, you know, let it grow. But he, he stopped it. He, he's a, he's a, he, he, he let us stand on the stage. He wouldn't do that before. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have us on the side of the stage, you know. So I'm, I'm cool with him, you know. Well, that's that's great because you're right. There are people who will just be in their ways and not progress. And, of course, drugs can make you – uh, you know, act yeah. certain ways, and uh, there's no re- reason to uh, to relive it if people have changed. You know, why hold somebody accountable if they've grown? Yeah, yeah he's sober and, and, and cleaned up. There's no more Jaeger. Jaeger used to sponsor everyone. I had T-shirts and fanny packs and hats, and <laughs> I, the Jaeger I, girls I, I were everywhere. The, <laughs> I, I went on a tour of the factory. <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh, I'm jealous. They gave me a big circular bottle of, of Jaeger, and then my guitar tech, he carried it all through Europe for like a month. And then at the, on the way home at the airport, I'm like, what's that? Because he had it wrapped in all kinds of stuff. I said, what's that brown stuff following you? My bottle of Jaeger got broke. Oh, no. <laughs> heartbreak. Yeah. yeah, heartbreak. It was. Oh. <laughs> you have another question? Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a more positive one. This is from uh, Johan from Sweden. You're going to be in Sweden soon. Uh, he wants... The Swedish Rock Festival. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, <laughs> there's a couple of festivals you're going to be doing. I'm definitely going to promote those. The uh, the Grass Pop, right? Am I pronouncing that uh-huh. right? And, uh-huh. uh, and of course, your, your Bloodlust uh, European tour. Uh, we're going to, of course, I'll mention those uh, at the end. But I guess oh, the... As a matter of fact, we're playing Guns N' Roses in one of them. They're playing on Thursday. We'll play on uh, Sundays. I think that's grass pop. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, but, I mean, I want these festivals. Why, why don't we have these festivals here in America? I mean, Iron Maiden, Ozzy, Priest, Megadeth. I mean, yeah. It's <laughs> unbelievable. We in America sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we got Coachella. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. With the uh, bands nobody's ever heard of ever. No, uh, nobody's heard of. But yo- they're managing. <laughs> but Johan from uh, Sweden, he wants to know about being Duff's best man at his wedding. Oh, you know what? I was not Duff's. Okay, first of all, we got to go back. This was this, uh, this is not 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 his wife. Now, not Susan. We love Susan. I love Susan. When I met Susan, I knew she was the right right uh, 
person for him. This is a, a wedding before that. His second wife, Linda, my daughter, who's, you know, 35, 34 now, was a flower girl. I wasn't the best man, but I was, I was there. His brother was okay. the best man. I was there. Lenny Kravitz was in the, the, the house band. You know, and, and then he came to me, he says, because uh, I was playing, too. He says, I, uh, he says, Ernie, w- what are you doing? I said, I'm playing guitar. He said, oh, I'll be playing drums tonight then. <laughs> wow. So, so Lenny played the drums at his wedding. Teddy Zigzag played. Hmm. Who else played? Uh, I can't remember. Well, I, I, uh, we had it up at uh, Lake Arrowhead. It was cool. It was cool. But, you know, that, 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 was, that wasn't the, the right wife for him, you know. What made you guys, uh, you and Duff, hit it off more than, you know, perhaps Slash or, uh, I mean, because, you know, Slash also has, uh, he's, he's half black. Uh, I mean, yeah. what, but why why Duff out well, of everybody that you uh, felt well, a kinship with? When, D- when Duff came to our, like I said, back in the day, um, when I first, Duff came to our show at the Coconut Teaser, like one of our early shows, and he wanted to meet Ice. He loved Ice. And so Ice, you know, Ice don't drink Ice, and, you know. He's not. He's not that guy. He's he's not the party guy <laughs> that I was. He was more he, 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 to himself. And so he he came. Duff came to the the uh, the show and says, "I want to help out your band." I'm like, "Oh, I'm having a lot of trouble with these black people over here." So <laughs> welcome, you know. <laughs> so he came. Dave Mustaine came. Like everybody was else was the Black Rock Coalition was shutting me down and everyone came. So Duff came and, Duff, and Ice was like, talk to Ernie because Ernie's producing the band. So I, I called Duff and, and Duff was like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, cool. We start, we just, we just clicked. He, he was just a good dude. And I met him when he was like 25 years old, you know? And, 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 I, and I didn't do drugs. I drank, but I didn't do drugs. Okay. And, I, and I, I told him that. I said, I don't do drugs and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And we just became good friends. We just, you know, we would hang out. We'd play pool. We, we, you know, we, we'd drive around Sunset Boulevard with high glass, highball glasses of alcohol, like, like down the down Sunset Boulevard with glasses. It was like crazy stuff, you know. Wow. I'm, I've, I've never got a DUI. Never. He never got a DUI. Well, he might have got a DUI. (laughs) Crazy stuff. I mean, uh, the show, the show that he did at the, uh, here's a good one. The show that he did at the Coliseum. We didn't play on that, right? So after the show, he says, let's go, let's go have a drink. I said, okay, cool. So the girls and his wife and all that, they, they hopped in the limo. So he hopped in the Car with me. I said, don't reach under the seat because I got a gun under the seat right there where you're sitting, right? So he got out the gun. Then a cop comes over to the car and says, do you guys need a police escort out of here? I'm like, put down the gun. He says, damn, you're holding the gun in his hand. I'm like, put down the gun. <laughs> but I had tenant windows, so I just, just cracked the tenant window. And he's over there, and the cop gives us an escort out from the traffic to get us on the freeway. <laughs> But he's down there holding a nine millimeter with the cops all around the car. Jeez. You guys are very lucky. Did you ever go to see, remember at the Coconut Teaser, there was that, that kind of side band called the Drunk Fucks? Do you remember them? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those were some drunk days. But I think it wasn't too long after that that 
Duff was sober by the mid nineties, maybe I think. Yeah, mid nineties. Yeah, 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 and good for him. By the mid nineties. Yeah, because I, we, I mean, we used to drink. He used to. I mean, I remember one. Here's the funniest story. We were down in uh, Miami at Luke Skywalker's club. You know, Luke had a. a, a uh, what's the name of his band, Kathy? Uh, um, uh, uh, the, 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 the two live crew. Oh yes. Luke had a club down there, so me and Duff went in there. Matter of fact, they were getting ready to play there on New Year's Eve, nineteen ninety. So wow. Duff had a Duff had a club. I mean, Luke had a club there. So me and Duff went in there. You know, I had my my wife and you know whatever. We had some people, and so we went in there, and uh, we, we were like. Duff invited me there because during that time I didn't have a lot of money because he invited me to come down there. He flew me and my wife down. He was really nice to me. He flew me and my wife down there. And so then we're sitting there ordering bottles of champagne and everything. And so the the bill started coming over there. I, he said to me, he leaned over and said, hey, you got any money? I'm like, no, you invited me here. I got no money. <laughs> he says, well, I don't have no money with me. I said, uh-oh, <laughs> we're going to be in problem. We're going to have a problem here. So we had to call John Reese. To come down and get us out of there, if you know who John Reese is. The tour ma- he was their tour manager at the time? Yeah, or? yeah John was a tour manager. Right, right. But, you know, but now John's a big promoter, but he was a tour manager. He came and got us out of that. But we were like, we were in a club full of black people and pimps and all kind of stuff. <laughs> you could have been washing dishes. <laughs> yeah, oh, we were still washing them. How much money we <laughs> <laughs> when did you and Catherine meet? I want to know that, like how you uh-huh. guys met. Oh, oh, oh. Catherine was writing for Rolling Stone, right? Well, actually, I did write for Rolling Stone? Stone, but I don't. At the time, I had my column in BAM where I was writing a, called Raw really? Power. I was writing about a lot of young bands like Rage Against the Machine you? and all that. But I think I interviewed. You? What do you think? You would have. You were the first girl on the bus. I know that much. First well, yeah. girl on the bus. Okay. Well, here, here's... The first girl on the bus. Because everybody would buy, give us that blink on the eye, like, no, no, she's a writer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they, I, here, Here's my memory of it. There was, a, there was a paper in L.A. that I wrote for, and they wanted to do a story. And I got mm-hmm. sent on the road with you guys in Florida. Yeah. And uh, I think I rode on the bus. What, what I remember, you rode on the bus. What I remember most, I mean, everyone was so sweet to me. And I hung out with Moose Man, of course. And yes. I wasn't I wasn't a big drug person either, but Moose had some marijuana. And I yeah, thought, well, you know, uh, I'll, I'll smoke a little. And so I just smoked a teeny bit, got <laughs> super, super high. And then three minutes later, I got the call. Ice wants to do the interview now. I'm like, oh, I'm too high. I'm too high. And so I had to go to the back of the tour bus. Ice was in the lounge, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm so high. Will he know? That's I funny. So yeah, that was it. Uh, and I think I remember we were in a hotel one night, and I think like might have been D Rock knocked on my door. He's like. Everything okay? I'm like, yep, everything's okay. <laughs> Shut the door again. <laughs> Paranoid. Yep, yep, just making sure. I just remember you were the first girl on the bus. Everybody walked by me going, blinking like, 
You know, like, like, there was no, nothing untoward happened. Yeah, nothing bad <laughs> happened except I smoked pot with moose and rest yeah, in but, peace. <laughs> but you know what? We were on tour with moose. Used to be, moose had two white boys with him, wherever city he went to, because they were always bringing the weed for him. And they used to have the strongest, that was oh. the strong weed. <laughs> yeah, I thought, well, you know, I want to be accepted by the band. I'll just have a hit, you know? <laughs> no, he was the only person that did it. <laughs> Oh, my God. Him and and Vic smoked weed. Everybody else was like, keep away from that stuff. Well, I learned too late. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you also, you uh, you were telling me, I didn't know, uh, Catherine, that they they had an Axel iced tea story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was just, uh, I was was reading something about, uh, I guess, some of the shows, the tour that you did with guns, Mm -hmm. and that there Mm -hmm. was a story where you and Duff were standing up eating and there was only yeah, one yeah, table, yeah. and it was Axel and Ice sitting at the table. And he wanted to know what are they talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you think Everybody, they were? Did they get along? Did they hang out much, Axel and they, Ice? They got, a, they, they, got a, they got along, but we were wondering what they were talking about. But nobody would sit at that table. It was like a, a school bench, you know. And and, and every people were just standing up because nobody wanted to go sit at that table. <laughs> we come stand up. We and Duff stand up eating. Because we didn't want to go sit at the table. Man. Because <laughs> you didn't want to disturb gotta, them or you were too, like, too afraid? We just, didn't want to, we just didn't want to get into the mix. We, nobody, that's his singer, that's my singer. You know, but I, they got along. I, they, they got along. Did you ever know yeah. or did you, did you, you toured with them after Izzy had left the band, right? After Izzy. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't know Izzy, you know. I, I, I toured with uh, Use Your Illusion. Right. Was that Gilby? Yeah, I can't, that was yeah. Gilby. Oh, that was Gilby. That was Gilby. You know. Who's another super nice guy, right? Yeah, Gilby's super nice. Uh, Gilby's super nice. Any fun memories from that? Because obviously, I mean, we talked about the maybe not so fond memories of that tour, but anything specific, uh, positive oh, from, the, from any, that tour? Anything. You know, everything. The thing about it, young people have to understand about touring with Guns N' Roses, when you're a band, we were a new band, you really can't tour like that and expect to make money. People are like, oh, you made so much money. No, because, you know, they might play on Friday, Saturday, and, and maybe a Monday. And then those other four days during the week, you got to float your band. So we're paying everybody for we're only working three days a week and we're paying everybody, you know, for all that extra time. So it was a good experience, you know, to, to do that, but it's not a money-making proposition. You well, know? you got to get on that in this lifetime. You got to get on that tour since that's a money-making machine. Yeah, for them. <laughs> 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 you know, the opening band, the opening band still has to float. They, you know, if they're you know doing three shows a week or four shows a week, you still have to float your band for the other two or three days. You still have to pay your text, pay for hotels, pay for buses, pay you know pay all these per diems. You know, you might have to pay a day off. You might have to pay twenty thousand dollars to be off. Mm. You might have to pay sixty thousand a week just to be off. I'm curious, when you were back on that Guns tour in 92, did you ever jam with them, or did Ice and Axel ever sing together, even in, in soundcheck? Nope. nope, because no one did soundcheck. Everybody was too drunk and high to make soundcheck. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, Axel was such a big NWA fan, too, but you, so you never know if there might have been like a talk of collaboration. Maybe that was the yeah. secret meeting him and Ice were, t- were having. Yeah. If you look on Guns N' Roses' uh, video, A Strange, sure. and you look on, uh, what's another one? The one that they're all in the camera, they're, they're zooming in and out. Oh, of the like camera. Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden. Yeah, he, he has body count hats on. 
in those videos. Oh, that's right. That is absolutely right. Yeah. He has body count hats on and those. You know, no, they, they, we never did do that because it's just, no, it was just too complicated, you know. Could you imagine, uh, oh, Catherine, you were going to ask something? No, I was just going to ask. I know since you and Duff have been such long friends, have you guys ever done anything together? I thought that you had. We, we, we started, we, we did some, some for ESPN, some kind of thing for one of their things a long time ago. And, you know, it's it's like sometimes you, you we, we, we tried, we were going to start a record company before. We, we met with uh, Peter Paterno back in the day and, and uh we were going to do that, but we've just been friends. We just never got into the business part of it. I was going to get him to play on this last record. I'll probably get him to play on this next record, just so I'll have it, you know, have him on the record, you know? Right. I mean, I love the Body Count version of Institutionalized. What Guns N' Roses song would you cover in Body Count, if you could? I don't, I don't, you know, we wanted to do Welcome to the Jungle years ago, and Axel was going to sing the hook. I don't know what happened. Some kind of things, you know, I don't know what happened. We were going to do that, and he was going to sing the hook. I, I really don't know what happened. I don't know. What, I, you know, when, when, when I song I, I would like to do, you know, during that time when we were going to Cop Killer and all that kind of stuff, we were, uh, we were on the road with them, as a matter of fact, where a lot of stuff was going down. Axel started playing They're Out to Get Me for Body Count. He, he would tell Slash, go get your guitar, let's play this for Body Count. And he, he always played, they're out to get me. So I, I'd, I'd cover that song. Yeah, I could totally see you after uh, Ice-T singing that and you rocking it. Oh, that, that would be sick, Body Count covering out to get me. That would be absolutely sick. Yeah. You... Matter of fact, I, matter of fact I'm, I'm going to call Ice and tell him that. Yes, you heard it here first. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I'll text him and tell him that later. I got to talk to him today anyway. I'll talk to him, but yeah. Could you imagine, I mean, flash forwarding to today that, you know, you and touring with Duff and, you know, you were involved in his uh, uh, prior wedding, uh, that you would be on the same festival in 2018? Like, the fact that maybe that you both are alive could be uh, a surprise, let alone still touring and playing? (laughs) You know, we we never, we just did it one day at a time, you know. Uh, Even more so, that's even greater, his daughter is opening up for them. Yeah, the Pink Slips. Yeah, yeah they, they opened up. And I went to see her. I, I saw her band um, two years ago. We played a festival, you know, and they were there. That's one of those pictures I sent to you. We were all at that festival, and it was muddy and this and that. And, you know, and, and I said, and Duff said, uh, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to go watch your daughter. We had so much fun. It was so much fun hanging out with, you know, just watching his kid play. She was so punk rock. That's so cool. So, yeah, uh, and that Grass Pop uh, metal meeting uh, tour happening in, in June, Guns is doing uh, thir- the Thursday day, the 21st, and that's when the mm-hmm. Pink Slips are playing. Uh, but you guys yeah. are doing that that Sunday, and that's the same day. What a lineup. A Perfect Circle and Judas Priest, <laughs> Bullet for My Valentine. I mean, that's just going to be, uh, like, I mean, I, you got to bring this to I America. We don't have any good festivals. Oh, I, haven't seen I haven't seen Maynard. You know, we played with Maynard back in um, – uh, uh, 93 back in Australia at a thing called uh, what is it called? Big, Big Day, Day Out. Out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Big Day Out. Thanks. We played with Maynard back then. I haven't seen him in a long while. He's, I guess he's out. Yeah, now yeah, with Perfect Circle and now Tool. I mean, I think he's going to be doing double duty, I mean, think, even some on some festivals. But It's, uh, it's good to see, yeah. you know, people still around, you know, after, after 20, 25 years, bands are, are still popular, you know what I mean? Yeah, and especially uh, you guys. 
I mean, your last record, I mean, it's such great reviews. Uh, I mean, now you're opening the shows with your with covering Slayer, right, which you do on your, your record. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the band, our band, you know, the last two records have been, you know, got good reviews, you know, so we're we're happy about that. We're taking more time to uh, – Will Putney does a great job. The kid that produces the record, he does a great job in producing the records. And we, we I just need to sit back and play, you know. That's all I do is just sit back and play now. Oh, it's awesome. And then uh, the Bloodlust, the European tour, kicks off in June. And we have a lot of listeners in all these countries, the Netherlands, uh, Croatia. I interviewed a fan one of these episodes from Croatia who would listen uh-huh. to Appetite. Uh, while uh, he would go in the Yugoslavian war, having grenades thrown at him, but he would listen to Appetite in his cassette player to try to like forget about that he may die any second. So we, we, we played there during that war, this this border war they had with Slovenia, whatever they, you know, some kind of border war they had. Yeah, we played there. Yeah, we played there. Jeez, back and, in the nineties. Yeah, yeah they had Poland, France. I mean, that's that's very cool. When are you uh, coming back around to uh, the U.S.? I don't. I don't know. We're, we're probably. We're probably. We'll do it sooner or later. But <laughs> we'll this is. Soon. But that, that, we, that we, means. Gonna, oh, okay. I'm sorry. We're going to play uh, the the one of the some shows in New York for the end of the Warp tour. You know, oh. the final go round. I don't know if we're going to do New York or we're going to do the one in Palm Beach. That's that'd be the last one. But we're going to be in New York. We have. We have. We're going to play New York because ice is in New York, so it makes it easy. Sure, and I guess the the point is is that body count is going to continue because I know ice with uh you know being uh, Mr. Mr. Hollywood, Mr. Actor, uh, Law and Order. Right. I mean, it's it's hard to balance that, but body count is going to continue uh, and, and make yeah. it, which is just that's just so cool. That you guys, we're going to start on a new record in September or something like that. Awesome. I mean, this record. This record sold records. I mean, it's something hard to do now. This record actually sold records. So we're going to do another record. So. Good. I can't That's wait. And cool. Yeah. If and uh, you know when you do come to New York, I would love to have you uh, in studio. We're here in uh, in Tribeca, same building as Q104 here in uh, iHeartRadio. So I would love to uh, to meet you, uh, Ernie oh, yeah. Cunningham. I, I saw Ernie. I, I saw Ernie right last time. time he was here. Cunningham, right? Cunningham. I said yeah, it right. Yeah. See, there was. <laughs> weren't you guys here for the listening party at the Sono Store? Is that when you guys were the last Sonos. here? Yeah, the Sonos, the Sonos, Sonos. Sonos. That's a cool Sonos. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I remember it was. It was so good to see you. And someday I'm going to get my body count jacket too. <laughs> yeah, someday soon. Someday soon. So I can be that bitch in the pit. <laughs> song reference. Song reference. Song yeah, reference. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. For sure. No, it's so cool. I mean, again, uh, Ernie, I know we kept you a little bit uh, longer, so I appreciate okay. you. Uh, yeah, you have. All, that's go- all that's going on out here is earthquakes, so, you know. <laughs> you just have things crumbling around you. Hopefully, uh, it's unbelievable. No, it's it's so you're, – you're so relatable in the fact that I just hit you up on, on Facebook and you responded and stayed in contact. It just, it's, just so, it's so very cool how personable you are, how relatable you are. Uh, so it, to follow you is uh, Ernie BC on Twitter, uh, Body Count Band on Twitter as well, and that's just a, a, probably the best way to keep up with you and and uh, the tour, right? Or, or, or Body Count four three two one on Instagram, I believe. Yes, yes, I I, I, I saw you you posted uh, today as we're recording this an old picture of you and Slash, and you both look uh, not sober. <laughs> oh no, no, what picture we have from the '90s? We're not sober. <laughs> <laughs> His, his hair tries to eat me on that picture. <laughs> <laughs> you both got the crazy hair, but not in that picture. Yeah, he he outfroze you. 
yeah, we were, I always have a good time hanging with him. He always makes me laugh, you know. And I appreciate you sending me pictures of you know your lovely daughter with uh, with Duff and like how they met when they were eight and now because she's my age and you know Duff with the yeah. body count sticker on his base. So it's just really yeah. cool that it's just become you guys have stayed friends and so it's such a community, this metal rock community that it's just yeah. all these years later that you guys are still kicking ass and doing. Uh, when you when you have good people around, you, you stay friends, right? Like, like Catherine, right there. I've been friends with her for twenty plus years. You know, when you have good people and you enjoy seeing their face, it makes you, you know, it makes you feel good. You know. I agree totally. In fact, you know, I met Duff uh, probably a few years before you did, and you know, we're we're still friendly. You 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 and Duff are like you know a couple of the good ones, the real ones who are are genuine. You know, just genuine, down to earth yeah. people. That's about it. You know. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's a good dude. So, Ernie, uh, again, thank you so much. And if you ever want, and I, I told, because I've interviewed uh, Catherine before, and I always, oh, I said, now she's coming back as a co-host. If you ever, you know, uh, want to come back as a co-host, and if you want to interview uh, somebody with me, whether it be Ice-T or someone else from the band, or, or, or Duff, if you want to interview Duff with me, uh, whatever, you know, uh, my platform is yours. Not like you need it. You're pretty successful on your own. Uh, but you can sound like you so you're somebody who would, uh, with your sense of humor, uh, now knowing that you have some, uh, maybe not directly, some Jew in you, I, I'd like you even more. <laughs> I'll bring the matzah. Yes. I say, I've been, I've been, I've got to be Jewish. I've been in the music business for 30 years. Come on. <laughs> Oy vey. <laughs> well, That's my contribution. I love it. Well, L'chaim, Ernie. L'chaim. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. And mazel tov on all your success. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I, I hope you had a good yeah, time, Ernie. And we'll see you in New I, York. I do. I do. I'll see you. You take care, girly. All right, thanks. Be safe. Be safe. See ya. Bye. bye. So that does it for episode 56 of Appetite for Distortion. Thank you again, of course, to Ernie C. Thank you, Catherine, for coming on again. Uh, A lot of great guests coming up. Uh, Chips Enough is going to be the next episode. Uh, Also on the way, we have Jack Lou, GNR's first photographer. Also, I reconfirmed Eric Valentine. I mentioned him a while ago, but he had a newborn baby, uh, so we had to put that off. Priorities, of course. If you don't know Eric, he produced uh, Slash's first solo record, so that's going to be a great conversation. And and just more on the way. Also, excited about this, uh, Appetite for Destruction. Uh, Not the GNR, their their debut record, but the band, the the tribute band. I've seen them, uh, I saw them way back when, and they're still touring, still doing things, and they're going to be doing uh, some shows up by me. Uh, uh, I should say, I don't know, up, down, whatever. Doesn't I'm, we're here, heard everywhere, so it doesn't matter um, on Long Island. And they offered to to come on the show. They've been waving that GNR flag high, even when we heard nothing about Guns N' Roses. They were still doing their thing, uh, but they're going to be in studio performing some songs for us. So that's going to be a pretty cool, a pretty cool experience, I think, for for all of us. So uh, a lot of things to look forward to in upcoming episodes and that is all thanks to you you know i I couldn't do this show i wouldn't do this show if i wasn't getting these emails and messages over 56 episodes so thank you spread the word follow us on facebook facebook.com slash the afd show on twitter at the afd show uh also you know of course subscribe follow on uh, iTunes, on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and of course we are also featured on AlternativeNation.net. So until next time, well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, 
When will you see it? Well, I don't know if as soon as the word, but you'll see it. Security, I'm going home.